Amen. As we look this morning into our text, we've been going since the beginning of the year just over the idea, the concept, the thought of what it means to truly be a disciple biblically of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see in his life that everything that he did was devoted to, of course, the saving, the bringing salvation to mankind. But all along the way, he sought to establish with people relationships that were much deeper than just casual bypassing relationships. He did not uh, desire to leave people just out there floundering in their uh, in their condition or in their newfound faith and what God had established in them. And so we've been dealing with uh, that thought over the course of the year. You've heard uh, many times already over the last several months the term redemptive relationships. Uh, it is something that is not really a new concept to most Christians, but it, maybe it's just phrased a little bit differently. And so really what I want to try to accomplish this morning is to establish firmly in our hearts and minds, not only that we are seeking to become disciples of Jesus, uh, but that we understand the importance of establishing redemptive relationships within our lives that we might effectively communicate the message that Jesus has entrusted to our care uh, to communicate to the world around us. We have a need, we have an obligation uh, to share with others what Jesus Christ has done with them. So when we consider this term redemptive relationship, what is it? I mean, what does it really mean? What is the, uh, the idea of it? And then why is it important? And so I think that these are questions that if we're going to embrace this uh, narrow this idea that we need to understand, then we need to understand what does it look like? And so it's one thing for a pastor to stand up and say, okay, this is what a, uh, a redemptive relationship is, and this is why it's important, but practically, how does it manifest itself in our life? What does it look like as it comes to be in our hearts and our lives? And then finally, what will it accomplish? What is the, the purpose, the point of all of it? What are we seeking to accomplish by establishing rela redemptive relationships with people that God sends across our path? So as we seek to become a disciple and in turn grow into a disciple-making or fruit-bearing Christian in church overall, we must learn to follow the example that Jesus has given us. And so the, the, the mission that we have and the journey that we're on is not just for this year, but for the future of our church is to uh, strive to examine the way that Jesus did ministry and then to follow the example that he gave us. We have for years, and uh, as we have been trained for generations, followed uh, the traditions and the path and, uh, and the model and the mode of the established church and what's been passed from generation to generation. And I'm not saying that all of that is bad, and I'm not saying that all of that needs to be uh, left behind. What I am saying is that we need to evaluate what we do and why we do it, and we need to make sure that the, the ministry that we bring forth, the word that we preach, the relationships that we establish with people are done following the example that Jesus Christ personally demonstrated to us. We all would say amen to a sermon that established that, uh, that Jesus is our example in all things, yet we fail or we're reluctant to look at, okay, so how did he do things? How did he approach people? What was his motive? 
What were the tactics and, and, and the things that he used uh, to bring it about? And so we have been learning and establishing that a disciple, just very simple, this is a really simple kind of overview of what we've been talking about, but a disciple is one who learns of, follows after, and then becomes a version of his master or his teacher. And so what we're trying to understand is that if I would be a disciple of Jesus, that I must learn of him, I must walk with him, and I must allow him to transform my life, thus making me a version of him. That's what he's trying to accomplish in our lives. That's how people are going to be inspired. That's how people are going to be uh, brought to a point of decision as they interact with us. Now, every Christian should become so fully committed to, decide, to becoming a disciple of Jesus who identifies, inspires, and instructs others to fully commit their lives to, Je- to their, their lives to Jesus as well. That's what our lives should be about. That's what our activities should be about. That's what our thought process should be about. I, I realize we, we have to go to work. We have to interact with people in different settings, whether it be familial or whether it be uh, in the community. But what is it that's the driving force in our lives? Are we seeking to identify with Jesus, to inspire others to understand who he, is, who he is, to then engage in a relationship where we can instruct them to the truths of Scripture, thus fulfilling the lives that Jesus has given us to live and called us to? Jesus did this. This is what Jesus' life was about. And he accomplished this by establishing redemptive relationships with people everywhere that he went. And so when we consider this, what is it? What is in the first series of questions that I uh, offered earlier? What is it? What is a redemptive relationship? Well, the word redemptive is actually not a very old word, relatively speaking. It is not a word that you would find, say, in an older, early 1800s dictionary. We uh, use uh, the Noah Webster 1828 dictionary and study very often, really almost daily, uh, and encourage others to do the same thing I do uh, because it, it is written and Noah Webster wrote that and defined words biblically and with the Bible in mind. But you don't find the word redemptive in that dictionary. And so it's a newer word, but it is true to redemption, which obviously we understand the importance of redemption in the Christian life. If I don't have the Redeemer, then I cannot be saved from my sin. So when we talk about the term redemptive, what is that? Well, it's simply this, and I'm just going to give a very simple definition this morning. Uh, But what it is, it is acting to save someone from error or evil. So when we talk about doing something that's redemptive, I am intervening or acting with the effort of saving them from error or from evil. So it's applicable not only to those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, who are engrossed and enveloped in evil. And I'm not talking about that they're necessarily an evil person. I'm talking about that positionally they're outside of Christ. They have need of Him as their Savior. uh, And they are greatly influenced, led, and impacted by the evil that is within this world. Uh, And so we see many people in the world today, most in fact, are 
are enveloped or engrossed in an evil society that they follow. They follow its values. They follow its uh, its thought processes. They embrace its culture. Uh, and so uh, we, we see that. But we also see that it's applicable to those that are, that are struggling in error. In other words, someone that they know Jesus Christ is their Savior, uh, but they've been taught false doctrine, uh, or they're teaching others false doctrine, or they simply have uh, have strayed from the Lord, and they were what the Bible would demonstrate and what we would refer to as being in a backslidden state. They're no longer faithfully walking with God. So when we talk about redemptive, we're talking about something or someone uh, that would act to save someone from that condition of either living their life in error or living their life enveloped in evil. Then relationship. And I understand uh, we don't need a big lengthy definition here because we all have a basic understanding of what a relationship is. But I find it helpful uh, sometimes to to clarify in my own heart uh, what it really means to just look at a brief definition. And I would define it in the dictionary, in fact, defines it this way. A relationship is the way in which two or more concepts, objects, or people are connected. So when we talk about a relationship, it is how uh, I'm, I'm connected to an idea. It's talking about how I'm connected to an object or how I'm connected uh, to other people. So you would say this, that a redemptive relationship is connecting with someone for the purpose of saving them from error or evil. Now, I understand this morning that I don't have the power to save anybody from anything, but Jesus does. And if I become a version of him, then I am expressing him and not myself to them as I share truth and as I share uh, what his will and what his desire and a testimony of what he's done in my own life. So that in that sense, I am acting on the behalf of Jesus to save them in the sense of bringing them to a saving knowledge or a or a re-establishing of relationship uh, with him. In the case of someone that's just straight away from him, that that is a redemptive relationship. Is it's a relationship that I intentionally enter into with someone for the express and the explicit purpose of either bringing them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ or to help reclaim them from the ideas, the culture, the mentality of this world so that their relationship with him is reestablished and they can live their life uh, understanding what it is to have the power of God on their life and to live in the joy of the Lord uh, as they move forward. So that is a redemptive relationship. Now, if we just stop there, uh, then it would be easy to justify those that would abuse God's people. In other words, and what I mean by that is this. If I, uh, if I were to say <coughs> to someone that, uh, you know, go out to find someone that I don't know. For example, I went to the store. I ducked into the store yesterday to pick something up. And, uh, and I was wearing a T-shirt that said uh, real, real bold letters. Usually I have like maybe if I'm wearing a, a shirt that has something in the Marine Corps, it's like just a little small logo on the side. Uh, but I had a real big, bold, long sleeve T-shirt on yesterday that said United States Marines. About as, it was like a flashing sign. 
So I really wasn't planning on going to the store, but I ended up in the store. And uh, and and this guy, he's an older gentleman. He was well-dressed. He was very kind. He saw me from the other end of the aisle, and he left his wife in the dust. She didn't even know he had walked away. And he made a beeline to me, shook my hand, told me about when he served, and uh, and then took out his wallet or his phone and found a picture of his son that had just retired uh, and showed me his son, his granddaughter. And we just had a nice conversation there for about uh, five or six minutes. And, uh, and, and so we just kind of uh, went along that. It would have been, uh, a, a, if I don't fully understand what the Bible says here, uh, I could, have, could falsely make the argument uh, that if I were to look at him and say, sir, I appreciate you talking to me, but you're a wicked sinner that's deserving of dying and going to hell and being separated from God. And if you don't do what I say right now, you're going to die and spend eternity in hell. I don't think that he would have been real receptive to the message. Uh, and so, but that's the way a lot of churches approach things. And that's the way a lot of Christians think that they're supposed to go out and share their faith, to just go out and to, uh, with a judgmental, self-righteous attitude, uh, uh, you know, kind of put someone in that corner. Uh, Jesus said, and Jesus demonstrated, go and share the truth. Now, the truth of the matter is, is that we're all sinners. And the truth of the matter is, is that if we die without Christ, we will spend eternity in hell. But yet when Jesus went, with the exception of the religious, self-righteous crowd, the church-going crowd, if you will, with the exception of those people, he was very successful in connecting in relationship to communicate the message. That doesn't mean that they always trusted him as their, as their Savior. That doesn't mean that they always accepted the truth, but they accepted him. They were willing to, and he established a relationship with them that allowed him to effectively communicate the message so that they at least heard the message and then were able to make a decision. Say, uh, well, what was so different about Jesus' approach that enabled him to be so successful at that? And I think that's very important for us to understand. And I think that we see Jesus engaging in redemptive relationships. But what made him effective is that his motivation was not uh, to just go out and to, uh, to, to paint a broad picture of where everyone falls. But he was doing so expressing it through love, redemptive love. A love that was expressed for the purpose of saving someone from error or evil. And so, okay, pastor, that's great, but what is redemptive love? Well, redemptive love goes beyond unconditional love. The word redemptive uh, is, is a regaining of something, or the word redemption, excuse me, is a regaining of something in exchange uh, for some type of payment or a, a payment for a debt owed. So redemption is reclaiming or repaying for something that, that rightfully belongs to me anyway. Now listen, we all rightfully belong to God because God is our creator. So the world has a hard time understanding that until someone understands, at least intuitively, that God, I'm God's because God uh, created me. Uh, then I, because of my sin, I have been lost to him. I have been cut off from him. Then redemption is making me gods again. So what Jesus did for us on Calvary's cross is he not only saved us, but he saved us by redemption. He took that which rightfully belonged to him and he paid for it a second time and reclaimed us to himself. 
So when we talk about and we understand the concept of redemptive love, we have to understand that it goes beyond unconditional love. And we could all say, and rightfully so, that God has unconditional love for all of those that he has created. That is a true statement. But what Jesus is demonstrating goes beyond that. It goes beyond just a love that's unconditional. He unconditionally loved all sinners when he gave himself on Calvary's cross, when he sacrificed himself uh, to, to pay for the sin, not just of those that would accept him, but for all men, whether they accept him or not. That was an unconditional uh, act of love that is really unfathomable. It is hard for us to even wrap our mind around. The word redemption, again, is regaining something in exchange for some type of payment. We understand that to be the payment of Jesus in sacrificing himself on Calvary's cross. And when you put that with the word love, its meaning is magnified. Because it's this. Redemptive love is sacrificing oneself because of love. In other words, it's saying to someone, I want to save you because I love you and I am willing to sacrifice to do it. So what Jesus said to us whenever he went to Calvary's cross is, I love you and I want to save you and I'm willing to sacrifice myself to do it. And what a redemptive relationship will be if it's effective is a relationship that has to be expressed through redemptive love. It is a relationship that has to be expressed with the idea of, yes, I have a message that's difficult for me to communicate to you, but I am not communicating this message that's hard for you to understand, to hear, to receive because I hate you or because I think I'm better than you. I am expressing this to you because I love you. I'm expressing this to you because I love the Savior. And I am giving this to you and this hard truth to you, not from a spirit of, uh, of, of, of self-righteousness, but a spirit of a broken heart that is longing to rescue you from the truth uh, that your position outside of Christ has already condemned you. And because Jesus expressed himself in such a way, what you see is that people everywhere flocked to him. They came to where he was. If it was in the city, they came in. If it was out in the countryside, they went out. But everywhere that you go, you see people flocking to him uh, to embrace him. Now, with that established, I want to consider this morning how we see that concept played out in our text. And so if you would look, and we are not going to take the time this morning to reread. I, I took the time to read the entire passage so that as we're going through this, we don't have to stop and go back. So if you want to jot some things down uh, and then you can go back and you can check this in the text, I promise you it will, uh, it, you'll see it very clearly. It will come together very well. Uh, the first thing that I want you to consider this morning is the priority of redemptive relationships. The priority of redemptive relationships. In verses 4 through 7, we see Jesus demonstrating the priority of this relationship and establishing it. We see that when he says in verse 4, and I must needs go through Samaria. Why? Why is that important, Pastor? Well, uh, it's important because that wasn't the normal route that the Jews would take from Judea to Galilee. They hated the Samaritans. You know, we live in a time and, and sometimes, and, and it's really not in my estimation that that big of a problem here, but I have lived in a lot of places where racial prejudice was a huge thing, a huge problem. I have pastored a church in a city uh, where it was a huge problem. Uh, and uh, the, the reality is here, the harsh reality is, is that the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They were very prejudiced against one another, both religiously and ethnically, they despise one another. And so the Jews would inconvenience themselves 
uh, to the point that they would go out through the Jordan Valley up into Galilee rather than taking the most direct route. That was just their norm to the point that they didn't even seem, it did not even feel to them an inconvenience. It was just, it was just the way that you went when you were going there. And so when Jesus announced to his disciples, I need to go through Samaria, he is saying something to them that would have been a, a statement that would have evoked from them a, why in the world would we got to go through Samaria? <laughs> Jesus, what are you thinking? There's nothing good over there. What are we going to waste time going through there for? I mean, we might we might get antagonized there. We might uh, get a problem there. We might have someone, uh, you know, cuss us or uh, or throw things at us or uh, be rude and unkind to us or uh, deal with those types of things. And, and listen, he's saying to them and he's demonstrating uh, that this this is a priority. I need to go through Samaria. There's someone there that needs me. And when we see that, we see that it was important enough for him to be inconvenienced. He went out of his way. He went out of his ordinary way, his normal path, his broke his normal routine so that he could go where someone was that needed what he, <coughs> excuse me, what he had to offer. And so we see in this priority of a, of a redemptive relationship that it was important enough to inconvenience him. I wonder when the last time is that we in our own personal lives allowed ourselves to be inconvenienced to share the gospel. Allowed ourselves to be inconvenienced to establish a relationship with someone, even if it meant that we could not share the gospel immediately, but we were trying to formulate we for the intentional purpose of bringing the relationship to a point where I could then share the gospel. If it takes many meetings, if it takes weeks, if it takes months, if it takes years, I am engaging in this relationship for the purpose. I'm inconveniencing myself for the purpose of sharing Jesus Christ. Jesus demonstrates for us here in this, this section of the passage that it's important enough for him to be inconvenienced. We also see that it's important enough for him to make an investment. He exerted himself physically. The Bible tells us there that when he got there, he was tired. He was weary from the journey and he went to the well and he sat there. He sat down to take rest. He didn't draw anything for himself. He just sat. He was not only inconvenienced, but he was uh, he was <coughs> making an investment. He was there on divine appointment to meet a particular person that he and his divine wisdom and knowledge knew was going to make an impact on that city. And so what did he do? He got there. He was tired. He didn't go find the inn. He did not go find something to eat. The disciples did. They were not at this point understanding the magnitude of the moment. They're scattered. They're gone to find food. They're gone to find refreshment. They're gone uh, to take care of the things that maybe on a regular day was just their normal mode of operation uh, as they walked with Jesus and went from place to place. But in this moment, the Spirit of God had led him and Jesus had said, I must needs go through Samaria and it was important enough for him to be inconvenienced and it was important enough for him to make an investment. Question this morning. When's the last time, Christian, that you intentionally made an investment in someone's life who didn't know Jesus? That's why we're here. And that's why Jesus left us here. Am I willing as a Christian to be inconvenienced? Am I willing as a Christian to make an investment? The third thing that we see here 
and the priority of a redemptive relationship is that it was important enough for him to initiate an uncomfortable conversation. And you stop and you think about this, it's, it's an uncomfortable conversation in every way. He sat on the well. He knows that a Samaritan is likely to be the person that comes there. And he knows that it's going to be this woman who has all kinds of problems in her life, all kinds of sin in her life. A matter of fact, you could uh, understand that she's coming to draw water at this time of the day because she would have been unwelcome to draw water with the masses of the city uh, early uh, whenever it was the cool of the day when it, most people would have gone to draw water. She's avoiding people. She's avoiding the crowd. She's avoiding uh, the, the ridicule and the, uh, and the condescension and the, uh, and the judgment of of her life and how it's how it's immoral and how it's failed. Uh, and so she's avoiding that. And Jesus is there waiting and ready to establish or to initiate an uncomfortable conversation. It's uncomfortable because of already the problem that they have between their races. It's uncomfortable because of the problem that they have between their religions. It's uncomfortable because he is going to demonstrate to her that the life that she has is a sinful life. And though she may go through the motions of worship at some point, and it seems that she clearly does, uh, that it's it's hollow and it's vain. So it's, it's uncomfortable. But yet she's willing to hear it. Again, it's because it's not only about a redemptive relationship, but it's expressed with a motive of redemptive love. And so we see, first of all, this morning that the priority of entering into a redemptive relationship caused him to be willing to be inconvenienced. It made him willing to make an investment and it caused him to be willing to initiate a conversation that he wasn't sure how well it was going to go. Secondly, this morning we see this. We see the purpose of redemptive relationships. Remember we said at the beginning we wanted to see uh, what it is and then why is it important and then now what we're seeing is what does it look like? And what it looks like is it looks like Jesus going from a way where he's uh, got to sacrifice himself and put himself in really in an awkward situation for the purpose of bringing this woman to, to, to salvation. So second, we see the purpose of the redemptive relationships. And we see that mostly through verses in verse 9 down through about verse 15 or so. Uh, and so you can jot that down <clears throat> and go back and look at this later. But the purpose of the redemptive relationship is this. It is twofold. First, there is the purpose of diagnosing her spiritual standing or position. They have a conversation about religion. They have a conversation that's going to lead to uh, this living water. If you would have asked me, then you, uh, you could have this living water. Uh, this water that will give you eternal life. This water that will change your life. Uh, if you just understood who I am. And so, what is he doing there? He's trying to diagnose, in her mind, her position and her condition. And listen, no one can ever come to Jesus in salvation no one can ever come to Jesus if they are saved but been away from him and come back and, uh, and give their life back to him without first recognizing my position. What is my position this morning? What is salvation is, is about our position. Is my position a position in which I have never received Jesus, so I'm yet in my sin? I'm condemned already, John tells us in chapter 3, uh, verses 17 and 18. 
When we look there, I'm not condemned and on my way to hell because I committed a sin. I am condemned and on my way to hell because I have a sinful nature. I was born in condemnation. I am born already condemned. And I do sin, but I sin because of that nature. That is, my, my act of sin is not going to send me to hell. My act of rejecting the gift of Jesus Christ is going to send me to hell. Now, the other parts are important, too, but when I come to down to it, I have to understand that my position is a position outside of the family of God. I am God's creation, but I am not God's child. The world wants to tell us that everybody's God's children. That's not biblically accurate. We are not all God's children. If I have been born, I am a child of His creation. And if I have trusted Jesus as my Savior, then in that moment I am born into His family. It's a different in position. So Jesus is trying to help her understand uh, her position and he's in his uncomfortable conversation demonstrating to her or diagnosing for her her spiritual standing or position. Where is she spiritually? Where is she in light of salvation? Where is she in light of her walk with God? Uh, and again, the whole purpose here is to recover her from error or from evil. And so we look and we consider that the purpose of redemptive relationships is to diagnose then secondly, we see that the purpose is to lead that person to a point of decision. He leads her to a decision point. He does not leave her floundering. He does not leave her uh, hanging, if you will. He does not leave her, okay, this is your position, and that's the end of the conversation. You know, I've demonstrated to you, he could have said, I've demonstrated to you that you do not have eternal life, and so now I'll see you later. He didn't just leave her that way. He brought her to a point of decision. And you can go through the Gospels and you can look at almost every relationship that Jesus has in which the people that he's addressing are not causing him a problem, but are actually genuinely interacting with him. And you see the same process unfold over and over and over again, where he goes to them and he sacrifices to meet their need and he loves them unconditionally and he loves them redemptively and he brings them to a place where they are confronted with their sin and he always leaves them at a point of making a decision. He never leaves them without bringing them to a decision point. He never leaves them just wandering. And they don't always trust him. They don't always accept his truth. But he always brings them to a point of decision. And so in his uncomfortable conversation and his uh, and his dealing with this uh, with this woman, he has diagnosed her spiritual standing and condition. And he is now leading her to a point of decision. She's there. She, she comes to that. She says, give me this water. And then he moves on to the next step. And we see that in point number three this morning, the power of redemptive relationships beginning in verse number 16. So now she's willing. Now she's come to a point where this man has inconvenienced himself to come to me. He has invested in me. He's been kind to me. I want to draw him water. I want to engage with him. He has confronted me with the fact uh, that I've got some issues in my life. I believe in talking to him that he is the Christ. And she says to him, give me this water. And he says to her, go get your husband. What's he doing here? Well, I think that what we see that he's doing here is that we see in the power of a redemption relationship that it has the power, first of all, to expose sin. Jesus is exposing her sin. Now, he's not exposing her sin to the countryside. 
He's not exposing her sin to the townspeople, though they clearly already knew. He's dealing with her as an individual. He's dealing with her in the moment and the power of the relationship that she needs to make. And in this relationship, he is demonstrating that my relationship with you, the relationship that I've established with you and love to recover you from error or evil is a relationship that by its own natural course is exposing your sin. And by the way, I don't believe that you can get very close to Jesus at all without his holiness exposing your sin. It's not that he has to uh, put it on a neon sign and flash it in front of our eyes. All we really have to do is get a good glimpse of who he is and we'll see real fast our own condition. I bought a package of new white t-shirts the other day. The old ones looked pretty good until I put them next to the new ones. You know, I look at the old ones all day and think, hey, it doesn't look too bad. It's clean. It smells good. Collar's not too messed up. My wife's looking at it and she's saying, you've lost your mind. Go buy some T-shirts. <laughs> Go and buy some T-shirts, bring them in, open the package, and man, is there a stark contrast. So that's, that's the way it is with Jesus. We can look pretty good to ourselves. We can, look, we can look pretty good to someone that's a little bit more raggedy than we are. But when we get put up close to him, it exposes really fast our true condition. So understand what I'm saying here. Jesus isn't like putting her sin on display for the world. He's just, he is just showing her in the power of this relationship that her sin is exposed. But he doesn't stop there. He has expressed to her his love. He has expressed to her who he is. He has expressed to her uh, what, what and is leading her to what needs to be done. And what we see in the course of this conversation is that, that this redemptive relationship not only has the power to expose her sin, but it has the power to express the Savior. What's he expressing? He's expressing his love. He's expressing that he has the power to change her. He's expressing that he can give her eternal life. He has expressed that everything that she has need of, he can show her. Not only can I save you, and not, but I can teach you that you have to learn to worship in spirit and in truth. You, you have your cultural way of worship. You have your traditional way of worship. Uh, but, but listen, the day is coming and the day is now that you must learn to worship God, the Father, in spirit and in truth. He's changing everything about her. So we see the power to not only expose him, but to express the Savior. And then the next thing that we see is that it has the power to evoke surrender. The power to evoke surrender. Listen, no one can come to Jesus Christ and accept him as their Savior until they surrender their rebellious heart and, and spirit. To him. No backslidden Christian can ever come to Jesus and make things right and enjoy the fullness of a relationship with him until we get over our rebellious heart, attitude, and spirit and surrender ourselves to him. This woman comes on guard. This woman came to draw at the time of day that she did because she was trying to avoid problems. She came because she didn't want to face others that knew where she, what her condition was. She sees Jesus. Jesus invests in her. Jesus inconveniences himself for her. Jesus has this conversation with her that's uncomfortable and he expresses to her uh, that that he loves her uh, and that he is the Messiah and that he has this living water, this path uh, to salvation and forgiveness. And when she begins to seek it, uh, he says, where's your husband? And she says, I, 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 I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. You don't only do you not have one now, but you've had five. And then the conviction who told him. How does he know? Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. It's more than a prophet. 
He's the Savior of the world. It's the God that created us. And we see that as he expresses this love to her, that he brings her to a point where it has the power to evoke a surrender from her. I love verse number 28. And I, and, and I love to just preach about that verse really many times, but it says there that the woman then left her water pot. I don't believe that that's just saying that she just left the pot of water that she came to draw with. I believe it's symbolic and it's significant of the fact that she is leaving behind everything that she was when she came to that well and she is setting out to live a new life. She left her water pot. She left the old her behind. She surrendered her heart to him. And notice that what that involves next is that in verse 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith, to the men, come see a man which told me everything that I've ever done. So what we see here in this relationship, it has the power to expose sin. It has the power to express the Savior. It has the power to evoke surrender. And then it has the power to enlist service. Jesus didn't tell her, go tell everyone. She spontaneously could not contain what had happened to her. And she had to go tell people. It was a spontaneous work of God that caused her to share him because she had redemptive love for her people. She had love for her city. She had love for those. And notice the beauty of this. She had love for the people, the very people that would have ridiculed her and forced her to come to draw at an inconvenient uncomfortable time of the day because she was seeking to avoid them. The very people that stood self-righteously and judged her without offering a solution for her sin are the very people that she turned and went to and said, come and see this man that has, show so, has showed me such love and such grace that I cannot, for all of my anger, for all of my hurt, for all of my bitterness towards you, I cannot contain it. I must share him with you. A redemptive relationship. It's the priority of the redemptive relationship. We've considered the purpose of the redemptive relationship. We've seen now the power of the redemptive relationship. And now let's lastly consider the potential of redemptive relationships. And we see this expressed in verses verse 30 down through verse 43 and two primary things. And again, for sake of time, we can't go back and look at all of the verses, but there are two groups of people that are dealt with here. She's gone to tell the city the disciples come back. And so we see Jesus in this, uh, in this interaction with his own disciples, the men traveling with him, the men following him, the men that he's making and molding into his own image to be a little, a little, uh, a little version of him. Uh, and then we see the townspeople come in force. So what we see are two groups of people here. First, we see that a redemptive relationship has the power to impact those that are within the disciples. They've been out. They've, they've gone to find refreshment. They've gone to get food. They're concerned about Jesus' well-being. They bring him food back and they offer it to him. And he says to them, I've got meat that you know not of. I've got food that you know not of. Listen, I have to fulfill 
the work that God has given me to do. In other words, I have to bring this matter to its final, proper, and complete conclusion. Uh, and we see him demonstrating that and, uh, and saying that when he says in verse 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Now listen, he, he, he's not going to not eat again until he raises from the grave. He's talking about this situation, this moment right now. There's no doubt that he's thirsty. There's no doubt that he's hungry. The Bible has expressed to us that he's tired. But he is unconcerned with his own comfort and his own needs until this matter is finished. Until this woman's need has been met, until this has been brought to its final fulfilling conclusion. And what we see here is that it has the potential to impact those that are within. The disciples, they're impacted by it. They are moved with his compassion. They look at him and they see, they learn a lesson here that, listen, Jesus has such love and such redemptive love to reach this woman, to bring her to himself, that he's willing to sacrifice. What is he doing? He's demonstrating that a redemptive relationship is a relationship that must be a priority. He is demonstrating that a redemptive relationship is a life that, and a relationship that must be done purposely, intentionally. He's demonstrating that the power to change a life is more important than the power to meet my physical need. Those that are within our impact, and I promise you this, church, if we have just a handful of people that will embrace what Jesus did and say, God, I'm going to go out and I'm going to give myself to establishing redemptive relationship so that you can use me, I promise you the impact will be on those within. That others will be inspired, that others will be convicted, that others will come to a point where they're uncomfortable even to walk through the doors as members of the church because we live in shame, because we are not giving ourselves to redemptive relationships as Jesus did, like some others are doing. And just the conviction of the Spirit of God without anything being said publicly or privately in conversation, just the power of God's Holy Spirit to bring conviction on us because we simply are not following the example that Jesus gave us will be overwhelming and life-changing. And when I say life-changing, I mean life-changing in a way that could be either positive or negative. Because I'll just tell you right now, church, there will be some church members that will come to a point where the conviction is so great that they just say, I can't even go there anymore. I've got to go somewhere else because I'm not willing to do what Jesus did. By the way, that's part of the purpose of a redemptive relationship. It is to bring to a point of decision. It is to bring to a point where I have to decide that I'm either going to forsake self and I'm going to submit and surrender myself and my will to the will of God so that God can use me, so that Jesus is glorified, so that people come to the saving knowledge of Christ. The potential of a redemptive relationship is that it, it has the potential to impact those within, but we also see very clearly that it has the potential to impact those without. And many of the Samaritans in verse 39 of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. It's an amazing thing. Many of them came to Jesus simply because they knew who this woman was and they could see the change that he had made in her life. But others were just intrigued. Others did not yet. They, they, they knew her, but it was just, I've got to see more. 
I have to, I have to understand more. So they plead with him to stay for two days. And then in verse 42, and, and then the, those people said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of your saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ. What happened? She established and she invested and, and involved herself in a redemptive relationship with her own people. And when she did, many of them came. Some came easily to Christ. Others needed to see more. But she continued to engage. She continued to share truth. She continued to cause intrigue. And Jesus hung around until as long as they were willing to learn of him and to have him invest in them until they were brought to a point of decision. And some came because of her testimony, but many more came when they saw Jesus. What is the power of the of a redemptive relationship? The power of the gospel, the power of Christ in our life. It is whenever someone sees the change that Jesus has made in me and has made in you. And when we do that, they are drawn to him and they embrace him and they allow him to bring life change. In other words, when he is lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. We come understanding this morning and we see in this context and this relationship that Jesus has with this woman that many decent people in her town wouldn't even talk to. That they saw that she was enough of a priority for him, that he was inconvenienced, that he made an investment that he initiated uncomfortable conversation. And then the because of the purpose of that redemptive relationship, the purpose of diagnosing her condition and the position that she was in. And then not only that, but uh, leading her to a point of decision and displaying for her the power of that relationship that exposed her sin, that expressed to her the Savior, that evoked a surrender from her and, and then caused her to enlist in his service. And then we see that potential spill over, not only to impact her, her, but to impact those that followed Christ and to impact those that did not know him. That's what a power of a, and the purpose and the importance of a redemptive relationship is. It is loving and it is living the way that Jesus lived and loved so that we can express Jesus. So the question this morning really is pretty simple. Will I embrace the example of my Savior? As a Christian, Will I understand what it is, understand what it looks like, understand what it has the potential to accomplish? And as we sit here now at a moment of decision, will I say in my own heart and will I respond to my God in heaven that I as your servant, and I as your disciple, that I as your child that loves you will allow you to help me? that will allow you to lead me to establish relations with people that are redemptive, that I'll make it, God, as you lead me and as you teach me a priority in my life. I wonder this morning, and I'm not looking for a show of hands or really for a lot of people to stand up and say, I will. What I'm looking for this morning is for us internally to reflect in our heart as God's Holy Spirit prompts us, can I say to him, Honestly and sincerely this morning, Holy Spirit of God, as you convict my heart and as you lead me, I want to, with your help, embrace the idea and the concept of understanding that this is going to be a priority in my life. I wonder this morning how many of us would look to the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, I want to fully and I want to more and, and to better understand and become effective at conducting the purpose of of this relationship, these relationships. 
Lord, that I want you to work through me so that this relationship is a powerful relationship. Lord, that I surrender myself to you so that we can see that this relationship reach its potential to impact those within the church and those without the church for the glory of God. It's really that simple this morning. We understand what it is. We understand the importance of making disciples. And most of us would say, yeah, I want to, I want our church to be a disciple making church. May I remind you this morning that before you can make a disciple, you must become a disciple. 